A reading from Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indication. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away underneath your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are about trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath as a great as a fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, as many, as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to our servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the of Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good to everyone on this fifth Sunday of Lent. Uh, can you believe next Sunday will be um, Palm Sunday already, which leads us into the Holy Week. And we've got a number of services that we've planned, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. All of the information are available on our church website and service. Uh, but this is, of course, a very special part of the Christian calendar. I would say it's the pinnacle. It is the most important as we think about the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the main themes of this, uh, this season of Lent is our own sense of mortality. Uh, we begin this season of Lent, as some of you are familiar with, on Ash Wednesday, with the words that from dust you are formed and to dust that you will return. So for today, I've chosen a theme which I hope will be helpful for us during the season of Lent. And as the psalmist in Psalm 90 prayed, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you remember 
the very first time that you encounter death? For most of us, I think it's probably a close family member who died or passed away. When I was 18, I remember coming back home from university to attend my grandmother's funeral. So my grandmother on my father's side, and she was past the age of 90. It was the first funeral that I attended. Now, I was not particularly close to my grandmother, but the most vivid thing that I remember is to see my father cry for the very first time. That was my memory of seeing death up close for the very first time. What is yours? Uh, since that day, uh, after I entered into pastoral ministry, I've lost track of how many funerals and memorials that I've attended. And on a personal note, I think many of you know that death was once again very close to me. In October and November of last year, uh, my family had a very close encounter with death. It was during the time of the Delta variant, around October or November, back in that day where they were reporting numbers on the TV every single day, the number of positive cases, the number of cases in the ICU, and the number of deaths. For the most part, I was able to keep COVID at arm's length. But one day, those numbers weren't just numbers. When those numbers flashed before me in the evening news, and my parents-in-law accounted for two of those numbers who tested positive, two who were hospitalized, and then within a month, two who died. I've had the real honor and a delight and a joy of conducting some of the classes here at First Baptist before COVID on end-of-life care. And I say to the participants at the right at the beginning, which really is the honest truth, that journeying with someone toward the end of their life can be one of the most rewarding experiences. I don't want to be too simplistic. Not all, but some, can be one of the most rewarding experiences that you and I can ever have. There will be deep lessons of life and faith learned, wisdom gained, when someone who realizes or finds out that they're approaching the end of their life. Not all, but for those who continue to deepen their faith and life in God into the last months, into the last weeks, into their last days. It is nothing short of sacred. You're journeying with a saint as they come closer and closer to meeting their Lord, their maker, their creator, and their heavenly father. As some of you know, that our very own Dr. James Houston continues to write reflections, and they're posted. He calls them letters from a hospital bed. And Dr. James Houston is entering his 100th year of life, still very sharp, still writing, 
And there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in his reflections. And the wisdom gained is absolutely priceless. So would you like to gain hard wisdom? Would you like to gain spiritual insights that will make you live your life well? Would you like to gain wisdom so that you could live in the here and now, today, that regardless of your circumstances, that you would experience joy, peace, meaning, purpose, and closeness with God? The author of Psalm 90 said, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I know this sounds almost like a paradox, but most wisdom saying initially sounds like that. They don't make logical intellectual sense. But the reflection and the testimony of many people, those who had a close encounter with the reality of their own death, like being in an accident, or being in a doctor's office, when they were given the news that I'm sorry, but there's not much more we can do for you. It is the testimony of many, and they tell us that it was the best thing that ever happened to their life. How can a serious diagnosis, which might lead to the possibility of an early death, be the best thing that has happened to you? But that's how wisdom works. It's not an intellectual insight. But the psalmist says it is wisdom that goes past our head knowledge and to our heart, to the core of our very being, to the deepest part of our soul. The psalmist says, teach us the number of days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And blessed are you if you're able to gain this wisdom and heart without the bad news of a health condition. Blessed are you if you're able to learn from others who have journeyed through this. And blessed are you if you can learn to number your days so that indeed you would gain that heart of wisdom. I want to offer you just some background and some um, things to hang um, maybe hooks on in terms of honoring Psalm 90. Um, you've heard it read. This was a psalm that was composed by Moses. This would probably make Psalm 90 the oldest known psalm. One of the most unique psalms. The only one that's attributed to Moses. Um, I would imagine that David, who penned most of the other psalms, would have read this psalm and prayed it and memorized it. Now, we don't have time to go through the rich story of Moses' life. You know, that formed him and shaped him and, you know, created him who he, who he became. I think he's probably one of the most significant characters of all of Scripture, both old and new. But the good thing is that I think most of us are familiar with the life of Moses. Born a Hebrew, raised in the Pharaoh's palace, exiled into the desert for 40 years for killing an Egyptian, then called by God to lead his people out of Egypt. And the confrontation 
in the battle with Pharaoh, in the ultimate deliverance of God's people from oppression, and that act of exodus, which becomes the basis of the story of our salvation. The Passover meal, the lamb that was sacrificed on the night before the exodus, the receiving of the Ten Commandments, and the many, many countless stories of, of them in the desert. It is this Moses that penned Psalm 90 after his wild life. Now, no context is really given uh, of Psalm 90 in terms of like what part of Moses' life he was going through when he penned this. We don't know when he wrote it, but some commentators would suggest that this was written close to the end of his life, simply because of the themes and the material that was presented there. Perhaps this was a psalm that Moses wrote as a gift to the Israelites just before he died, as they were about to enter into the Promised Land. We could say so much more on this alone, but I want to invite you to reflect on this psalm, knowing that it was Moses who authored it. Now, in the first three verses, in 90 verses 1 to 3, we have what I would consider the themes of creation, our place in God's creation, and the introduction of the theme of death. If we could put that on the overhead, I'd appreciate that. So Moses was attributed as the author of the first five books of the Bible, and in just the opening three verses of the psalm, and this is how poetry works, it opens up our imagination and it opens up our memories. Here Moses alludes to creation, our part in God's creation, and then in verse 3, the Genesis reference of returning to dust, which of course is a reference to the story of our fall and the introduction of death as a consequence of Adam and Eve's disobedience. All of these are massive, big themes in Scripture. In just three poetic verses, he alludes to all of those things. In the next section, in verses 4 to 6, I label this as time flies. And before you know it, your time on earth is nearing the end. I want you to do an exercise. I want you to imagine a line and on the left-hand side of the line, your left-hand side, is when your life started. And on the right-hand side of this line is where you think your, end, your life will end. I want you to, in your mind, put an X where you think you are on that line. Are you past the middle? Are you two-thirds towards the end? fourth-fifths. The next portion, or the verses four to six, I think Moses is telling us that time flies, and before you know it, you're closer to the end of your life than the beginning. I don't know when it started for you that you paused and you thought to yourself, where did all the time go? It was like 10 years ago that I just got married, but now you're celebrating your 40th or your 50th. And you can't believe that the decades have flown by. A good friend of mine in his 70s, you know, with the usual health issues here and there, he always wants to know, 
what he can do for the kingdom of God. Because in his own words, he says, I don't know how many more years I will be around. And I don't hear it a kind of like a morbid or a depressive kind of a, a statement. I hear it as a sentiment that there are a number of you who also grasp this, that you know that you're closer to this side of the line than the other. And there's a desire in your heart to leave a legacy, to leave an imprint, or make a difference. And you want to use whatever energy and resources that you have to serve God and to bless others that are around you. In the next section, we hear the wrath and the anger of God against sin. In this particular portion, we come across a biblical theme that may not make us particularly feel good at this moment or happy, but it is an essential part to gain a heart of wisdom. It's God's righteous anger towards sin and disobedience that we find ourselves in this predicament, namely death. That without God's grace, the problem of sin is a depressing one indeed. Which leads us to the next portion, which I see as a poetic way of posing that question. What is the meaning of life? In verses 10 to 11, 70 to 80 years without God. Life without God is meaningless. It's poetry. It's similar to the question that Ecclesiastes, another wisdom literature um, author, wrote. He goes at length to ask the question, what is the meaning of life without God? And the writer demonstrates that life without God ultimately is meaningless. And then the pinnacle, I think, of this Psalm in 90 verse 12 is the pivot. It says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And to me, I think it's a healthy awareness of our human limitations, our mortality. Not in an anxious way, nor to live in any kind of an excessive fear, but with humility. That most of us will live 70 to 80 years. But when that life is lived under God, God can use it and he can establish the works of our hands. And he says a heart, not just the intellectual agreement that, yeah, we're all going to die, you know, we all know that, we all acknowledge that, but it goes deeper into the heart, into the person of who we are. And then finally, in verses 13 to 17, um, Moses offered a picture of what life with God can be like. There's a sense of meaning, there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of purpose. A life of God offers a solution to the problem of our sins, for his compassion and his grace offers forgiveness and new life. And secondly, a life in God offers us joy that we may sing and worship in verse 15, even in the moments of life where we're experiencing affliction or suffering. And in verse 16, he returns to the theme of God's faithfulness to all generations. And then finally, that the things that we do with our hands, which I think is poetry or euphemism for our work, that the things that we do, that God would establish and make it useful for the building and the 
furtherance of the kingdom of God here on earth. That's how I think the psalm generally works. I mean, we could go into more in depth, but I think that's probably enough for us this morning for a general idea. I, I want to share with you a couple of stories which I think, as I walked with some people, these are the wisdom and insights that I have learned. In my first pastorate here in Vancouver, a gentleman by the name of David called me, and he wanted to arrange a time to come and talk with me. Now, David was married. He had three kids that are elementary age, um, you know, in that general um, sphere. I knew the family, but I didn't have much close interaction with them and was somewhat pleasantly surprised that David called to meet and to chat. When David arrived, it looked like he lost a lot of weight and he looked frail. And as we get to know each other through the conversation, uh, he said, Pastor John, I was recently diagnosed with liver cancer. I don't remember if his diagnosis um, was named in terms of what stage, um, but many of you know, of all the forms of cancer, liver is probably one of the most deadly. David said that the doctors gave him 12 to 18 months. Now, I know many of you know in your head that we don't all live forever and that we will all one day die, but this kind of news is on a whole different level. It really brings your theology of death to what we call an existential moment for an existential reality. Because now it is real for you. In other words, things just got real, real, real serious, real fast. David and I, we uh, developed a friendship through his um, cancer journey. And to this day, it is probably one of the most blessed and highest privilege and honor to journey with David towards the end of his life. I learned so much from him. David ended up dying in about the time that the doctors indicated. And towards the end, we embarked on an exercise. I was reading a book at that time in which a father wrote a series of letters to his sons, and an idea came to me. And I proposed to David, why don't you write a series of letters to each of your children for their graduation, for the day that they get married, for when they have the first child. And um, that was the days before cell phones and videos. Um, so we did. He was getting weaker and weaker. And I would remember taking my laptop to the hospital as I visited him. Uh, he would dictate and I would type each of the three letters that he wrote to his children. I can't tell you how bitter and sweet it was at the same time. Uh, his relationship with God grew, his spirit grew, while his body was deteriorating. One time, David said to me, Pastor, I wish I would have been more involved in the local church. He actually gave me a lot of food for thought. Because I, at that time, was in my late 30s, and I had children of my own. I think he was a little bit younger than David's. And for many people at that particular age group of their lives, they're 
beginning to establish themselves, they're gaining a good amount of experience, they're getting good respect and expertise, they have lots of energy, lots of potential, you know, they're called to be directors and team leaders and VPs. And he saw the potential to provide for his family. All good in moderation, I suppose. But in the back of David's mind, he thought to himself, maybe I'll work really hard now while I have the energy and I'll serve God later. Maybe down the road, when I retire and have more time and energy, I'll be more involved. But by the time that David realized this, it was too late. His life didn't work out the way that he planned. And I know some of you in your head are saying, well, you know what, that's not going to happen to me. And I certainly hope it doesn't. I certainly hope that none of you will be diagnosed with a life-altering illness at a young age. But whether it does or not, part of wisdom is to learn what other people have learned without you having to go through it. And the nugget of wisdom that David offered is simply this. Don't wait till you have time and energy to be involved with the things of God or involved with ministry. And I'm not even saying to be involved here at the FBC. This is not a recruiting sermon by any stretch of the imagination. You can be involved in the work of kingdom of God outside the church, inside the church. But don't put off later what you can do today. I always thought that wisdom in living is something like this, that if you knew that you had six months or 12 months to live, and someone asked, how would you live your life differently? The answer should be something like, you know what? Not a whole lot. No drastic wholesale change. Because at the best I know how, I think I'm doing what I'm asked to do in work, family, ministry, friendship, etc. Did you know that no one on their deathbed has ever said, gosh, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. It's always I wish I would have spent more time with my family, with my children, with God, to be involved in the work of God here on earth. So the psalmist says, you turn people back to dust, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by. Teach us to live with this awareness that our days are numbered so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Moses ends the psalm with, may the favor of the Lord rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. In other words, may the Lord bless the things that we do so that they will last. A second story many of you know, brother Larry Graves and Carolyn. Now, Larry passed away on Christmas Day 2019, the year before COVID. Uh, Larry was part of my search committee, and that would have been the first time that I would have met him, except I distinctly remember in that meeting he was absent. And someone told me that he had a doctor's appointment. And I later found out that Larry was on his own journey of cancer. 
And through his journey, there came a point in which the doctor said to Larry that there wasn't anything that they could do much more for his cancer. And they gave Larry an indication of how much time he most likely had left. And so once again, I had the honor and privilege of journeying with Larry towards the end of his life. And again, I saw the gradual deterioration of his body, but the growing of his deep, deep faith in God. One time I asked Larry in our conversation, uh, we've already reached the point, I think, in which we both knew that the end was getting closer and closer. And I asked Larry, what are you going to miss the most? And he thought about it for a moment, and he said, of course, his family. And then he said something that really, really surprised me, but proved to be so prophetic, as this was before any of us ever thought a pandemic was possible in our lifetime. He said, I'm going to miss going to FBC to worship and to hear the choir. I'm going to miss communion. I'm going to miss the sermons. I'm going to miss greeting people in the foyer. I was surprised. It's something so ordinary, it's so regular that I think most of us take for granted every Sunday. But being part of the FBC family meant so much to him. And the insight that I gathered was this, that his sense of gratefulness for the very simple things of life, and that we don't take them for granted. Yes, I know in my head, and I know you know in your head that worship is supposed to be a million times better in heaven, and there's no more tears, no more sickness, and no more death. All of those are true. But those Sunday school answers doesn't quite cut it in moments like this. I know heaven is better. Frankly, I kind of like it here. Things are not perfect but I really like things here. And for many who have been given a time frame of 12 months or 18 months, uh, they have this realization of a deep sense of gratitude and gratefulness for every single day that they're able to wake up and have a breath and have another day of life. Now, some of you I know have embraced this without a terminal illness. And some of you have learned this lesson from a serious life-altering illness. Good for you. For you have grasped something of the heart of wisdom. The psalmist says, satisfy us in the morning with our unfailing love, that we may sing for joy in the glad all of our days and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble that even in the midst of life's hardship and difficulty, that you would grasp the idea of being grateful for the very little ordinary things of life. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So friends, in this season of Lent, when we pay particular attention to our mortality, the awareness of the number of days in our own lives, may you develop and gain a heart of wisdom to live life well, to find peace and joy and meaning regardless of life circumstances. 
and that you may be able to sing for joy and be glad. Let's pray. Father, you are indeed good and faithful to us, treating us not as our sins deserve, but in your compassion, inviting us to a fullness of life. Thank you for the gift of life here on earth. And as we are aware of the number of days in our own mortality, may we gain that heart of wisdom, impart to us that heart of wisdom, so that the things that we do with our hands, with our lives, may be established for the kingdom of God. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.